Well, I barely made the, the cutoff point. I feel like Superman after baptisms jumping up there and trying to change in a phone booth in the back. Uh, and as I was back there, Ellie, who just got baptized, said, hey, your words are really long, but they're strong. And so I just got punked by, by a new believer who is a child. And so um, it is good. It's good to see, uh, man, just what God is doing here. I've been in Kalamazoo all week with our Radiant Network, and uh, you don't know this, now. we're connected to the Radiant Network, which is a, a family of churches that are Word and Spirit churches, you know, for encouragement, for relationships, for challenging, but creating presence-focused, presence-centered churches. And so for the last week, I've been with 35 other pastors just pouring into them and loving on them and encouraging one another and just worshiping and praying in the mornings, hanging out with them in the day, and then praying and worshiping at night, and then coming back and just seeing what God is doing. Our worship team, which is just so talented and so gifted every week. We have so many worship leaders. We have to, we have to rotate three every single Sunday just to utilize those gifts properly. And there's our musicians who are incredible and new musicians coming and just seeing what God is doing and then seeing baptisms and just seeing what God is doing in the lives of people and kids through our kids ministry and everything else. And it is good to be in a healthy growing, vibrant body of believers. And so uh, if you have a Bible, you heard it, Revelation chapter 5. We are continuing our influencers series. And last week we talked about how God created the church to be an influential body or family of believers on earth to, to advance his kingdom, to bring his kingdom, to influence his people and influence the culture at large. And this week I want to talk about what it means for you and how God created you and how he saved you to be an influence. And so the last couple of weeks, most of you have probably seen where the Queen of England had passed away and, and just seeing kind of the, the, the glamour and the ceremonies and the rituals of, of the monarchy and, and all these things. And hearing some of these stories of Queen Elizabeth, who was just an incredible leader of, of, the, of the known world for 70 years. And one of the stories that came out was, I think it was in early 2000s, she had uh, King Abdullah from Saudi Arabia there with her on one of her her farms or, or places there in England, and they were going to take a ride around the estate in, a, in her Land Rover. And so King Abdullah gets in the front seat, his interpreter gets in the back seat. He expects a driver to get in the front seat and, and the queen to get in the back seat because she's a woman. Well, she climbs over the seat and jumps into the driver's seat of this Land Rover and begins to drive. She takes the keys, put them in the ignition, and she begins to take off. King Abdullah, not knowing she was a driver in the army in World War II, and she begins to drive, and she doesn't just start like little old Queen Elizabeth now. She hits the accelerator and starts flooring that thing, and she's taking twists and turns all through this estate, and what was amazing about King Abdullah, they don't allow women to drive cars in Saudi Arabia. And now here he is sitting in the passenger seat, letting this little old woman drive around this estate. His interpreter is telling Queen Elizabeth to slow down, and she sped up that much faster. See, when you're royalty, you got some privileges that other people can't do. When you're royalty, you have some favor and some influence that other people don't have. And Queen Elizabeth, as she passed away, she passed that on to her son, King Philip. And now he's the king of England and their family's all royalty. And, and none of them earned the right to be royalty. None of them were voted in. None of them were, were on a poll, got there by popular opinion. They got there by a royal bloodline. And you have a royal bloodline. In Revelation chapter 5, it says this, starting in verse 8. 
I'm reading from the New King James today for just a second. It says, now when he had taken the scroll, now this is in the throne room of heaven. Uh, John is looking in to what's going on in heaven, the worship in heaven, and, and kind of what's happening towards the end times. He says, now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, which is Jesus, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense. Everybody say bowls. Which are the prayers of the saints. And I'll get to that in a second. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Everybody say blood. And out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and made us kings and priests to our God. Have made us kings and priests to our God. Have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign, what, in heaven? No. In the supernatural? No. On the earth. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that this word moves from my mind and my heart and my spirit and my lips straight into the spirits of your people. And I pray it awakens in them to move beyond a victim mentality, even move beyond just a servant mentality, to move beyond the royal priesthood. You have called and destined them and paid from the walk-in. And so, Father, as it happens, I pray you release them into every sphere of culture to bring your kingdom from heaven to earth through them. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. So John is seeing kind of a, what's happening in heaven why he's on earth. He gets caught up in heaven. He's seeing all this happen. And he sees that. It says the elders and these four creatures are flying around singing over Jesus. And it says only you are worthy. But it says there's these four bowls of incense. And the incense, it actually says in the scripture, that is the prayer of the saints. And so you may ask, why, why did we start prayer meeting back on Wednesday nights? Because we have some prayer bowls we're trying to fill up. Will Ford said there's these prayer bowls in heaven, talk about this scripture, these prayer bowls in heaven, and as the saints pray, as they fill up, once they're full, that's when God releases the things from heaven into the earth. That It's almost like one of those water parks where your kids go to and there's a big bucket of water, and once it fills up, it tips over and pours out on to all the kids. The only thing they don't know is the water is super heavy, so it's breaking the necks of all these little toddlers running around. <laughs> I view this scripture, this part, as there's these prayer bowls in heaven. And as the saints actually take serious the promises of God and the word of God and the power of God, and as they pray, as we're praying on Wednesday nights, as we're praying as a community, as we're praying in our prayer closet, as we're praying on Sunday, as we're praying, we're, we're pouring water in these prayer bowls, and at some point, at just the right time, they're going to tip over and release what we've been praying for into the earth around us. And I, I think that's the, the component he's trying to say there. But then he says this, he says, we are redeemed by the blood of the lamb. We were redeemed. That word redeemed is not a word that's just saved. It's not a word saying forgiven. The Bible normally uses the word redemption when it comes to salvation. He says we are redeemed. That means bought back. You have a, re a ticket redeemable for a certain amount that Jesus paid the price for you to be set apart and set free back into the kingdom of heaven, back into being a child of God. But he says it like this, by the blood of the lamb. In any gospel without the blood is not a gospel at all. 
And I think the reason he ties the two together, redemption and the blood, is that when you preach a a forgiveness of sins, when you preach a salvation, but it doesn't have the blood, this is why people go through cycles of, they may feel better for a moment, but they backtrack and go into an old cycle, is because they were never redeemed from sin, they were only feeling good about being forgiven of sin. And it is the blood that purchases your freedom. It is the blood that purchases your salvation. It is the blood that purchases your, your, your new life. It is the blood that purchases the Holy Spirit for you. It's the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood. He's saying, worthy are you because your blood is the only thing worthy enough to set us apart. Back in the Old Testament, the blood could give you forgiveness of sins for a day on the day of atonement. But we have the blood that is so much better, as Hebrews says, that it redeems us not just from sins, but from the consequences and the power of sin itself. And John is seeing that. He says, we're redeemed. We're not redeemed by gold or silver. We're not redeemed by better works or efforts. We're not redeemed by anything except for the precious blood of the lamb. And from there he goes into this statement. Out of every tribe and every tongue and people of every nation have made us kings and priests. See the blood doesn't just save you. The blood just doesn't forgive you of your sins. The blood just doesn't wash you white as snow. The blood actually redeems you to make you a king and a priest to our God. You say, "Wow, well, you know, I you know, I don't I don't really know about that. That sounds a little little much." No, no. Who is the blood for? Us. Who are the redeemed? Us. He even says, in case you get it messed up, out of every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation, he makes us kings and priests. See, that is powerful. I think we we lose, we've lost sight in, in, the, in the desire of, of getting people saved, we, we've taught them maybe what they're, they're saved from, but we haven't taught them what they're saved to. See, yes, you're saved from sin. Yes, you're saved from shame. Yes, you're saved from guilt. But you're also saved to something. You're saved to being a child of God. You're saved to a purpose. You're saved to a destiny. But you're saved to be part of the royal family of God. And just like the new king who has no skills to rule a nation, he can't even find his pen on his desk. No one earns the right to be a king or queen. No one takes a vote to find out if they're going to beat somebody else. See, in a royal family, there is no jockeying for position because you're all one family. And when you become the royal family, that if Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, if he is the king of kings and you've been engrafted in him, guess what you are as well? You are a king. Touch your neighbor and say, you're a king. I'm not talking about the king of rock and roll like you're Elvis. I'm not talking about you being the prince of pop, being Michael Jackson, or the queen of soul like Aretha Franklin, or as we all know, prince. He doesn't even need to know any subtitle because he's the prince of everything. You're a king in the royal family who's the ruler and the royalty of the entire universe. You, my friend, are a king and queen. And he sets it apart so well. What do kings and queens do? They influence the culture around them. When the queen shows up of England, when she shows up, she influences what people do. She influences how they view England. She influences the culture. She influences the nation. She influences. See, when you're in royalty, when you're a royal family, no matter what you do, people are watching you. 
to see how royalty should act. That's why all the, the tabloids watch the royal family. They're waiting to see what, how they react, how they respond. And the world is watching you as well to see what does it look like for royalty to walk on earth. See, you are part of the royal family. You may not have a crown, but you've got the bloodline. You may not have the, the, the throne, but you have the authority. You may not have the castle, but you have the influence. See, you are a royal priesthood. The Bible, over and over again, the New Testament, trying to explain to us that you are royalty. And what's happened is, when you lose sight of that, we, we bought into this, this, this religion that I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. And what that does, it keeps you in the mindset of a sinner. It keeps you with the mentality of a victim. It keeps you in the mentality of somebody who's just a dirty old sinner. And what that means is Jesus really didn't do anything to set you apart. When you realize the Bible does not call you a sinner after you've had the blood of Jesus on you. After you're touched by the blood, the Bible calls you a saint from there on. And a saint is somebody who's set apart, who's chosen, who carries the bloodline of Jesus. And that bloodline is royalty, which means you are not the tail, you are the head. You are not behind, you're out in front. The world is watching you, you are not watching the world. You are the royal family. Remember one of my favorite authors, Miles Monroe. Have you ever, raise your hand if you've heard of Miles Monroe, raise your hand. We're the great Bible teachers of our generation, passed away a few years ago in a plane accident. One of the greatest revelations of the kingdom of heaven I've ever seen. And he tells this story that he was in Malaysia meeting with a bunch of executives from the Sony Corporation. And he's with them. All these executives are Chinese or Malaysian. And he's with them, and, and Dr. Monroe is, is eating dinner or lunch with them, some type of meal. And this one big figure says, hey, I need you to explain something to me. Now, granted, these are all millionaires, multimillionaires. And they're all Chinese. And he says, I need you to help me understand something. How come... When Chinese people move to a, a new country or a new neighborhood, they end up owning a business pretty much right away. But the people of your pigmentation, because Miles Monroe is Jamaican or African-American or, or black, he said, but people of your pigmentation never end up coming to the same level of financial prosperity, even in their same neighborhoods. And Dr. Monroe says, well, I, I, he said I was caught off guard. I didn't, I didn't know the answer. He said, can you please help me understand and so this Chinese official, this executive, says, well, let me explain to you like this. I, I will travel to America. When I come into America, I'll come into a neighborhood. And I see that when, when Asians move into that same neighborhood, within a matter of months, they're owning some type of business. But the, the people that have lived there forever, the African-Americans that are there, they stay in the same thing, doing the same thing they've done for generation to generation. And he said, and it came to me, and this Chinese guy said, it came to me that when Asians move into a new territory, they come looking to be business owners. But when African Americans go out looking for employment, they look for a job instead of a business. And he said, it came to me that it's the mentality problem, that the African Americans work just as hard, they work longer hours, they sacrifice, they're committed, they do everything, but the mentality is different. The Asians come with this thing, I have the ability to own and influence something, while the African American community has this mentality of, I just, if I can just get a job, then maybe I'll be okay. If I can just get a, a better job, maybe better. He said, it's the mentality. And, and, and hear me as I say this with all, all grace. 
I think that wherever you trace your genealogy to will determine your mentality thereafter. And what I'm saying is, if we as people trace our genealogy just back to my parents, who were broken, who were drug addicts, who were alcoholics, or dirt poor. If I trace my genealogy back to them, then I'll see myself and I'll have the mentality of somebody, if I could just get through this week, I'll make it. But maybe it's more of a heritage thing. Maybe for African Americans, you trace your genealogy back to your ancestors who were in slavery. And if that's as far as you trace your genealogy back, you'll have the mentality of somebody who's under oppression and under the system. But if you keep tracing your genealogy past your parents, past your grandparents, past your grandfathers, past your great-grandparents, past your ancestors who were in slavery, past your ancestors who were immigrants, if you trace it all the way back, you know where it goes to? It goes all the way back to Jesus Christ. And he is not an oppressor. He is an overcomer. And the same bloodline that's in him is in you. And so when you realize that you are a king, when you show up, you show up with authority. You show up with the abilities. You show up when the king shows up in a foreign land. He shows up with the approval of the entire kingdom. And when you show up for a job, you show up with the entire populace of heaven having your back. And it's time for us to realize we are the royalty of God. That you are called and destined to reign. We're called to reign. We're destined to reign. That's what the scripture is saying, that, that we're kings and priests unto our God, and we shall reign on the earth. I believe at the end of times, we all reign in fulfillment when Jesus brings his kingdom down. But till then, you're in training to destiny. You're in training to reign, that God is raising you up as business owners, as influencers in schools, in education, in science, in math. Wherever, wherever you go, you are royalty. He said, well, you know, this seems like some prosperity stuff. And, and no, it's not prosperity. It's redemption. That when God planted Adam in the garden, he didn't plant them there to get a job at Walmart for the rest of his life. He planted him there to be fruitful, to multiply, subdue, and advance the kingdom on earth. He said, well, you know, I think when we get to heaven, we'll get crowns. No, no, no. When you get to heaven, it's too late. See, too many believers think, well, when I get to heaven, then, then I'll walk in my f- fullness of life. I'll walk in my authority. I'll walk in my royalty. No, no, When you get to heaven, it's too late. When you get to heaven, you know where your crown goes? At the feet of Jesus. There is no reigning in heaven. Even Queen Elizabeth, she said, uh, Pastor Anthony said this a couple weeks ago, she said, I wish Jesus would come back before I would die so I could lay my crown at his feet in front of the whole world. When you get to heaven, there is no reigning for you. You reign here and now. That you are royalty with the influence of heaven. You have the authority of heaven. God wants to send you out to take over domains and spheres of influence and territory to advance his kingdom. And so here, I want you to see the two kingdoms. You cannot get through life at all. You cannot get through life if you are not aware that there are two kingdoms that are fighting for influence on earth. I'll say it again. You can't make it through life if you don't realize that every day of your life there are two kingdoms fighting for influence in the world, in our community, in our church, in our families, and in our own personal lives. It's the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness. And there are polar opposites, and both of them are trying to influence 
you and influence society to exalt one king or the other. So if you throw that up, the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, we know is very clear. The kingdom of God is an internal kingdom with external fruit. The kingdom of darkness is an external kingdom with internal fruit. What does that mean, Pastor? You can be going through hell and seeing all types of things happening around you, but the kingdom of God inside of you will produce peace that others can see on the outside of you. But the kingdom of darkness, you can have it all together. You can be the biggest celebrity, the richest person on earth. You can have it all together, but inside, the fruit of that is is depravity and sickness and evil and and darkness, all these things. One is God-ruled, the other one is Satan-ruled. And make no mistake about it, Satan rules the earthly realm. Without a doubt. Even Jesus, he took him to the high pinnacle and said, I can give you all these kingdoms. Why? He had authority to give Jesus something. Revelation knowledge is the fruit of kingdom of God. And the kingdom of darkness is sensory knowledge, your emotions, your flesh, how you feel. And we're seeing this be, grow more and more in influence in our society. One is the fruit of holiness. One is the fruit of sin. The kingdom of God operates by faith, but the kingdom of darkness operates by fear. If you don't believe me, turn on the TV. They influence you through fear and, and fear-mongering and what if and what if this happens. One, trust in God as your source. The other, trust in human efforts, knowledge, and abilities as your source. The kingdom of God operates by grace and favor. The kingdom of darkness by effort and works. The kingdom of God is the citizens and born-again believers. The other is the citizens and unsaved humans. The kingdom of God brings rest and peace. The kingdom of darkness brings fatigue, stress, and worry. The kingdom of God operates by the spiritual laws of heaven. The kingdom of darkness operates by the natural laws of earth. Key laws, the law of the spirit of life in Jesus, but also the law of sowing and reaping. Well, the kingdom of darkness is by the laws of sin and death and the laws of buying and selling. They are two completely different operating systems. Kingdom of darkness is like windows full of viruses, Spending more money on antivirus software than you actually do on the computer. And then one is Apple. Simple, peaceful, restful. They never coincide. You can't put Apple iOS on a Windows PC. But you can't put Windows on an Apple computer. They're two totally opposite operating systems. And when you realize that, you'll see that the world, there's certain believers who are still operating by an old operating system. They, they say the right things, they say Jesus is Lord, but they're still operating off an old operating system of Windows 94. And so if you're operating by the world's systems, you will have the world's results, which if we're really honest, is Depression and anxiety, sexual perversion, immorality, divorce, hatred, violence, racism, uh, political divisions, and all these things. That's all the results of an operating system that is broken and full of viruses and diseases. And when you realize that you are royalty, you no longer operate by the kingdom of darkness. You operate by the kingdom of God. That's why people say, you know, election's coming up. You know, it's going to be really bad this time. We got, we got to watch out. You know, if we don't do this, the stock market's going to tank and this is going to happen. That's fear-based. That doesn't affect me because my Lord is my provider. My Lord is my source. If everything comes up against, if World War III breaks out, it'll be difficult. But guess what? I'm not part of this world. I'm just waiting for heaven to come back down. I don't operate by the kingdom of darkness. 
Why? Because I'm royalty. And the royals don't fit in to the normal operations of life. You ever seen Aladdin? Literally, Jasmine has to go into the, the, the markets dressed down because she won't be able to recognize her as royalty. Because if they recognize her as royalty, they would try to either take something from her or kidnap her. Too many of you guys are royalty, but you dress down to go to the marketplace. You are royalty, but you don't want to stand out so you conform in. You are royalty, you have authority, but you push your authority aside because you don't want people to get offended by what you say. You are royalty, but you take off your royal clothes, you take off your robe, you take off your signet ring because you just want to go to work and fit in. I'm telling you, when you're part of the kingdom of heaven, royalty never fits in. When you go to work, you should stand out. When you go to school, you should stand out. When you go to church, you should stand out. When you go to the ball game, you should stand out. You are royalty. And when you walk in it, it changes how people see you and it changes your influence. And if we are really honest, the reason we see things going on in culture that we see is because the royal people of God have pulled back from their territories in society. They've pulled back from education. They've pulled back from the arts. They've pulled back from TV and media. They pulled back from the medical professions. They pulled back from all these other things to try to protect themselves and, and not be on the front lines of the war. And what has happened is other kingdoms have placed their royalty in those locations. What's the, how do you say that? When, when Jesus is being tempted in Matthew chapter 4, when you get this, it'll help you make sense of a lot going on in society. Jesus is being tempted. He's fasted 40 days, 40 nights. He gets tempted. And, and Satan takes Jesus up to the high place and says, all this I can give you. He points to all the kingdoms of the Lord. He says, I can give you these. Now what's crazy is, Jesus is already king of kings. All of it's already his. But Satan is trying to tempt us. I can give you all this. And Jesus refuses to take it because he knows it's a counterfeit kingdom. But if you don't step into those places, Satan will begin to place people in those high places for himself. You know what? You have teachers in some parts of the world that are pushing transgenderism and homosexuality onto kids. It's because there's been people that have been called to be royalty as teachers who did not step in their place and pulled back. So Satan placed somebody there for them. When it comes to the medical field, the reason some of the weird, even at Vanderbilt, our hometown, Vanderbilt, they're pushing uh, sex change operations, not because it's what's best for, for patients, but because it makes them money. You know what that is? Kingdom of darkness, buying and selling. You know why they can do that? Because people that were called the medical profession pulled back. They were carrying royalty. And so until we step into our proper places, those 12 spheres or, or domains we talked about, those are territories for you to reign in as kings and queens in the marketplace. Because we have a choice of which realm or which kingdom we're going to be influenced by, but we're also going to influence for. You have the choice. Because as priests and kings, we have influence in heaven because we're kings and priests under God. We have influence in heaven. It means we can go to the Father boldly. We can go to him and ask for him to move, ask for intercession, ask for help, ask for favor. We have influence in heaven, but we also have influence here on earth. We have it. We just don't use it or, or walk in it. You have authority here on earth, yet we don't walk in it. Why? Our mentality is still an old school mentality. And so what is the two offices? Kings and priests is an Old Testament model of how God would protect his people, but advance his kingdom on earth. 
Kings would go out into battle. Kings would, would go in and take new territory while priests sought after God, made sacrifices and blessings to God, ministered to God so that God's favor stayed upon the kings. If you put those up, in the Old Testament, the kings led the battles against the enemy. Meaning King David, King Saul, they were the leaders to go to the front lines to advance God's territory into the enemy's territory. While the priest provided encouragement and spiritual support for the battle. Moses up on the hilltop, when he let his arms down, the battle started coming against them. When he lifted his hands up, they started advancing. The priest gave spiritual encouragement and support to the kings on the front line. The Old Testament kings provided financially for the temple, while the Old Testament priests ministered to God. The Old Testament kings were the land and business owners, the marketplace people, while the priests taught the law or the word of God. The Old Testament kings oversaw commerce and trade of all things within their territory, while the priests oversaw the house of God. The kings cared for the people in their territory, while the priests cared for the orphans, widows, and strangers. When the two were working together, God's kingdom flourished and advanced. But when there was separation, or they started walking outside of their normal responsibilities, that's when you saw the enemy push up against the church of God or the Old Testament people, the Hebrews, to see the kingdom suppressed. I believe we're in a season where things are being suppressed in the advancement of the kingdom because we have a lot of people who want to be priests and no one wants to be kings. You say, what does that mean? What means this? That in my experience, this is my personal experience, that priests always want to be kings and kings always want to be priests. Priests, pastors, they want to be the CEO, they want to be the money makers, they want to be the celebrity, they want to be all these things. When they're not called to be those things, they're called to be the priest. While the kings that got all the money and accumulate all the influence and all the authority, they want to come into the church and tell the priest how to be a priest. And so you have these two things, but when everything works in its proper order, the priest is blessing the king, and the king is blessing the priest, and God is blessing the kingdom. And and that's where influence comes. When the church is being blessed, then the kingdom can advance. But when the church, when God takes his hands off the church, church can no longer move forward. And so that's the Old Testament model. You see it with Saul and Samuel. You see it with David and Amalek. You see it with Solomon and Zadok. You see it with Nehemiah and Joachim. That there's always a king and priest. But in the scripture in Revelation it says we are all kings and priests. Which means we are, a, we are called and positionally both a king and a priest. Touch one number and say you're a king. Then touch the other number and say you're a priest. You're both. You know what that means? As a priest, you have as complete access to God as anybody else. But as a king, you have the influence of God in his kingdom wherever you may go. And you are both. It's not these two separate things, but you're called into one or the other. So you have both, but you're called to focus on one or the other. Because the New Testament model of kings and priests says this, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, and the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints or the kings and priests for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So the New Testament says there's still a differentiation. We're all priests under God. Notice he didn't use the word priest. He said apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors. He didn't say priest. You know why? You're a priest. You're a priest. People will come to me at the altar, but hey, pastor, can you just pray for me? They think I have special powers. I don't have any more special access to God than you do. I'm gifted differently, 
hold a different office than you, but you have the same access to the throne room of God than I do, than the elders do, than anybody else. Even elders, we don't call them priests because they're not specially connected to God. They just have a special place as pillars in the church. You are the priesthood. You are the priesthood of God. You have access. You can walk into God's office anytime you want to. But he gives us these five offices for what? To equip. He gives us the prophet, which is the index finger. Point your index finger up in the air. Why is the prophet that one? Because they point at people all the time and tell them how bad they are. The middle finger is the evangelist. Do not put that up in the air. Why? That reaches farther than anybody else. Evangelists are called to, to not just preach the gospel, but they help train people to preach the gospel. The index finger is the pastor. Watch your ring finger. The pastor is married to the church. They're committed to the church. Your pinky finger is the teacher because it's the most detailed finger of all your fingers. But then the apostle is the thumb because it touches all the other things. And within that is the, the body or the church. They all have to be connected in order for the body to function properly. And so you may not be an evangelist or a prophet or a pastor or a teacher or an apostle, but you are part of the body. And it says here that those five officers are there to equip the saints for ministry. Not the saints come and pay the priest to do ministry, but our job is our coaches, the staff, the elders, is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And what is ministry? Partnering with God's purpose here on earth. Like everything. The staff will tell you, every staff meeting, how can you give more ministry away? How can you empower people more? Why? Our job is not to do the ministry, it's to help you do the ministry. You can do more ministry outside the walls of this church if I properly equip you than we could ever do inside the walls of this church. And so the Old Testament is king and priest. The New Testament is the fivefold office and the saints. And so you, you have the, the calling of both, but you're anointed to do one or the other. And so when Samuel got out of bounds with that, or not Samuel, but, but Saul, Saul went to war. Samuel was supposed to come make a sacrifice to spiritually support and encourage Saul on the battlefield. Saul got impatient, so Saul goes in the temple, makes a sacrifice himself. Samuel shows up, says, what have you done? You're a king, you're not a priest. He said, well, I got tired of you uh, waiting for you. I didn't know if you were gonna show up or not, so I just made the sacrifice myself. And God removed the anointing from, from Saul. That's how vitally important it is for us to know. I, I'm called as a king and priest, but I'm anointed as a king or I'm anointed as a priest. I'm anointed as a priest. Therefore, I don't get involved in things kings get involved with. I don't get involved with politics. I don't get involved with, with business endeavors. I don't get involved with trying to be a CEO. I don't get involved. I am a priest. And some of you, maybe you've thought you're called to be a priest, but God has placed you in society as a king of your domain, which is your sphere of influence. Some of you are kings of your home. Some of you are queens. If you're a stay-at-home mom, you are a queen of your house. You have influence over your kids. You have authority over your kids. You have care over your kids. Some of you are kings in the marketplace that God has given you business favor. He's given you to advance his kingdom through the marketplace. Some of you are teachers. You're a king or queen over your classroom. 
You're a king or queen over your locker room. You're a king or queen over your medical office. You're a king or queen over your, your hospital floor. You're a king or queen. God has placed you there to minister and advance his kingdom as the royal family of God. That when you show up, royalty walks in the room. And to show you the difference, I believe we've overdeveloped the priesthood and underdeveloped the kingship. We could teach people how to pray. We could teach people how to preach. We could teach people how to do all these things. But I think we've underdeveloped the kingship, which is are you right now. And here's the difference. One, priests provide vision for the kingdom. While kings provide provision for the kingdom. What is that, Pastor? It means the priest, our job is to give you a vision, a worldview of what it looks like when the kingdom of heaven comes on earth. It's to give you a vision, teach you the word, to give you the parameters, the boundaries, the principles, the promises, the truths that you can build your life and your kingship on. While the kings go in and conquer and provide provision for the kingdom so the kingdom can continue to advance. All throughout the Old Testament, when the kings would conquer a territory, that's where the tithe, they'd bring back a tithe so God's house could stay supported and move forward. But also priests have authority in the church while kings have authority in the marketplace. Meaning, I don't have authority over your business, but they don't have authority over the church. And when it gets messed up is when you start getting into some weird, weird nationalism and political things that get them intertwined together. Priests equip kings for spiritual growth and life success, while kings expand the influence of the kingdom within their sphere of influence. Meaning, my job is to equip you, Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, so that you can expand God's kingdom as a hairdresser, as a teacher, as a nurse, as a doctor, as a professor, as a coach, as a car salesman. Wherever God has placed you, your job, you are there camouflaged. As a car salesman, as a businessman, you're camouflaged. You may look like a business person, but actually you're a king in the kingdom of heaven. And you're there on royal business to advance his agenda right there where he's placed you. And last but not least, priests establish kingdom culture in the church while kings advance kingdom influence in the marketplace. And I believe that's those high places of society in Matthew 4. That if Christians went and pulled off, and I think it goes way back into the 60s and 70s, maybe 50s, where Christians were so anti-TV and, and anti-anything out outside the walls of the church that we lost influence. And the enemy walked right in there and put his own agenda on TV every single day. He walked right in there into social media and he put his agenda right there in social media. Christians pulled out. We started building Christian schools, which I'm all for. We started building Christian schools and Christian colleges. Well, guess what happened? The enemy placed people in high places right there in every single building in higher education. Politics. We pulled out of politics. Guess what happens? The enemy places people in higher power all throughout politics. And we're seeing it over and over and over and over again. And God's solution is this. On earth as it is in heaven, may your kingdom come. But his kingdom comes through the people that are the kingdom. And I believe God is reestablishing the kingship of the believer so he can be walking in higher influence and greater influence for the next generation. I say that the church has, has been the tale for too long. I remember years ago, remember Guitar Hero when it came out? 
Oh, y'all are too safe for Guitar Hero. I remember Guitar Hero. So Guitar Hero came out, and then I was at Family Christian Bookstore, which was still open at the, at the time. And I walked through Family Christian Bookstore to get a book, and I was like, what is that? And it was a knockoff version of Guitar Hero called Praise Hero. And it, what it demonstrates is this. The church, instead of being the influencers, are the influence. We just wait for what the world does, and we try to clean it up a little bit. What if the church, the kingdom, was the influencer that created Praise Hero first, and the world's trying to create a guitar hero to catch up with the church? The Renaissance was this whole move of Christian artists creating new forms of art and expression and even science and, and biology and physics, all these amazing. The church was the influencer, and the world had to catch up with the church. I think it's time now for God to raise up the level of influence of the church so the world can start coming behind us and let us be the leaders again. That's what it means to be a king and priest of the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to close with this. In the 11th century, King Henry III of Bavaria was done. He was done with royalty. He was done with all the duties, responsibilities. He was tired of living in a fishbowl. He was tired of living in a glass house. He was just done. And he said, the only way I can get away is if I go and be a monk in the monastery. That's the only way. That's the only thing a king could go to. And he, he literally went to the, one of the most famous monasteries of the time. And his name was Prior Richard, who was over this monastery. He says, hey, I just I want to read it to you. He says, I'm just coming to spend the rest of my life in this monastery, to get away and, and be a contemplative and just seek you in prayer. And Prior Richard said, your majesty, do you understand that the pledge here is one of obedience? That will be hard because you have been a king for so long. King Andrew said, I understand, but the rest of my life I'll be obedient to you as Christ leads you. And here's what Prior Richard said. He said, and I will tell you what to do, said Prior Richard. Go back to your throne and serve faithfully in the place where God has put you. And when King Henry died, a statement was written, the king learned to rule by being obedient. I think many times we get tired of our our kingly responsibilities. We get tired of our responsibilities in business or life or school that we think the priesthood is an escape from those things. In reality, that is your priesthood. Wherever God has placed you is your ministry. Wherever God has placed you in your job or your employment or your business, that is your ministry. You're there on royal assignment. And the greatest worship you can give God is to advance his kingdom wherever he's placed you. Stay-at-home moms, the greatest gift you can give God is to pastor your kids and lead your kids and advance the kingdom of heaven in your living room and bedrooms. The greatest ministry you'll ever have is being obedient to God where he's placed you. If you would, just bow your heads and, and just close your eyes. God has redeemed you, saved you by the blood of Jesus to be a king and priest unto God. To reign, not in heaven, but on earth. And you reign through influence. You reign through love. You reign through intentionality, but you reign by realizing you're on royal assignment to wherever God has placed you. And my prayer is that your mentality begins to change from just an old sinner saved by grace to I am the royal priesthood of God. Before you can have a change in mindset, 
You have to have a change from death to life. Only by the blood of Jesus are you redeemed. Only by the blood of Jesus are you made new. Only by the blood of Jesus are you set free. Only by the blood of Jesus do you find freedom. Only by the blood of Jesus do you find healing. Only by the blood of Jesus do you get to go from death to everlasting eternal life. You say, that's me. I, I need... I need a new life. I need a new start. I need a new destiny. I need a new purpose. I need to be forgiven of my sins, my shame, my guilt, my fears, my worries. I need to be set free. I need freedom. I need deliverance. I need all those things. It is a transaction that happens where you lay down your life and then Jesus gives you his life. We call that repentance. You say, that's me. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. I'm going to have you come forward today. But I am going to ask you if that you'll raise your hand up so I can see you. See, that's me. I need the blood of Jesus over me. I need to be set free and made new today. If that's you, just raise your hand real quick. Anybody else? Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for an amazing plan of good news, which we call the gospel. That from the very first misstep, the great rebellion in the garden, you had a plan to bring your people back home. As prodigal sons and daughters, that you are looking for them every single day of their life. And Father, as they come home to you, they pass through the blood, the holy, unblemished, perfect blood of Jesus. And you make them new again. You don't make them slaves, you make them sons. You don't make them servants, you make them royalty. And I thank you for the blood. And for those that raise their hand, Father, I pray right now, that today is a new day, washed in the blood, with their feet set on solid ground as a new creation in Christ, all because of Jesus' obedience and his love towards us in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. If you would, stand to your feet as we get ready to dismiss. Reminder, if you raise your hand, please swing by the connection uh, point out front. If I can get the prayer team down front, if you need prayer for anything. This is, this is your time to fill up those prayer bowls in heaven. You need prayer for healing, salvation, loved ones, wisdom, whatever it may be. They're here to agree with you in prayer. And the Bible says, where two or three touch and agree, let it be done so. They'll be down front, but we love you. Hope you have a great rest of Sunday. God bless these, your people, as a royal priesthood, as kings and queens, wherever they go, Father, I pray their feet, every step they take, it advances your kingdom. It brings new territory for the kingdom of God. So, Father, I pray they go in influence, they go in power, and they go in love. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.